0: الحمد لله وكفى وسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى اما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والذين جاهدوا فينا لنهدي انهم لنا سبحان ربك رب العزه عما يصفون وسلام على المرسلين الحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد a principal goal of every human being is that they excel in whatever they, whatever they do. It's a principal goal. It's part of human nature. This is what Allah Ta'ala, This is how Allah Taala created human beings, that they excel in whatever they partake of. So. That 's the reason that many of us are studying today, right we 're in one of the best universities in the country because our goal is to do the best that we can and excel in our studies while we 're here, and inshallah, ultimately excel in our uh, careers in the future. We seek to excel with our families, for instance. there's not a person that comes to the University of Michigan and comes here with the intention that they 're going to fail right, with that intention that you know what my goal here is to get a D or to get a D to get an E in this class one night when I arrive. My first class I 'm going to take, my goal is to flunk that class. No one comes with that intention. They seek excellence in that task Because this is part of what, how Allah Ta'ala created the human being For instance, if there's like a track meet, right? If you were involved in a track meet When you, when you first arrive at that track meet You're thinking to yourself My goal is to, to be the best I can To put up the best numbers while I'm here When you decide to cook a meal, for instance Your goal is to make the best meal possible When you're cooking, for instance, you're baking cookies, right? For this gathering Anyone bake cookies? No cookies? Uh, but if you're instance, you are you want to make you, you make big cookies for a gathering Or for you know your spouse Or for your children Or for your parents Or for your friends Your goal is to make the best possible uh, dessert It's not to uh, fail at that You're not trying to make The most distasteful form of food You're trying to make something That's appealing That's pleasing to the tongue Something that someone would taste And say, alhamdulillah This is, this is something that's of substance This is quality this is, this is good So your goal is to make The best possible thing Rarely do we attempt to sabotage Anything that we are involved in So this applies essentially to everything And everything in our life The goal is to be excellent And this is from the sunnah of the Prophet wasallam as well In fact, he told us He said in a hadith "Inna kulli shay'." That Allah Ta'ala has prescribed excellence in everything Allah Ta'ala has prescribed excellence in every single thing that we do So we know about what it means to be excellent when it comes to the things of this world right? When it comes to doing well in school, when it comes to doing well in sports When it comes to doing well in cooking, when it comes to doing well in in wearing nice clothes We know what it means to be excellent in that regard The Prophet ﷺ, out of his immense mercy to all of us He taught us what it means to be excellent in deen as well He taught us what it means to be excellent in deen as well He's written it up for us so that we, so there's something that we can, something tangible, something that we can take And something that we can inshallah hope to accomplish And that definition exists in this beautiful hadith That many of us have heard Some of us have probably even studied And, uh, and that is the hadith That's known as Hadith Jibreel When a man had come in the company of the Prophet And in the company of the Sahaba And that man, or what they thought to be a man Or who they thought to be a man Taught them about their deen so this person had come once in the, It was in the company of the Sahaba The Prophet ﷺ was sitting with the Sahaba And a man had come And it was someone that they had never seen before The Sahaba, Umar he narrates this hadith And he says, this is someone that I, we had never seen before But when we looked at him He had these, these, these bright white clothes right, Like stunning white clothing He had jet black hair and on him, they said that there was no, they couldn't find the athar uh, al-safar, like the, the, the effects of traveling. You know, back then, if someone would be traveling from one place to another, it's not like today where you're comfortable on a plane, nothing, you know, you can't, you can't tell if someone's traveling or not. But back then, if somebody was traveling for days or, let's say, weeks, you'd be, you'd be able to see that on their face, you'd be able to see that on their clothing, but his clothes were, you know, bright white, stunning white clothes, right? Just freshly bleached, tied, that doesn't damage, right? And so, that was the type of clothing he was wearing. And, but they didn't recognize him. And he came and he sat down in front of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He sat right in front of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And he says, ركبتيه ركبتيه he sat on his knees. ركبتيه ركبتيه. The Prophet is right here. And he was sitting knee to knee with the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So the, of course the Sahaba are shocked. Who is it that comes with that doesn't even that we don't even recognize, but that comes and has the nerve to sit right in front of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam? And then he said <laughs> that he had placed his hands on his thighs. Now we don't know from the hadith, uh, from, there's a difference of, of, amongst uh, interpretation and whether his hands were on his own thighs or on the thighs of the Prophet But in any case, he was sitting like this or he was sitting like this. So if the Prophet وسلم, is here, he's sitting like this or he was sitting like this. So then he tells the Prophet وسلم, he said, أَخْبِرْنِي عَنِ Islam." He said, teach me about Islam. So the Prophet said that Islam is illallah Muhammad. It is to believe and testify in the oneness of Allah and believe in the, that the Messenger Sallallahu was a Prophet. Right? And that the salah is a part that, and to perform the salah, and to give the zakah, and to fasten the month of Ramadan and if one, if one is able, then to perform the hajj. So this man is asking the Prophet, the Prophet answers it. in this manner. He gives what we consider to be Islam, right? The five pillars. If someone asks, what are the five pillars of Islam? This is where it originates from. It originates from this hadith. When, when this person had directly asked the Prophet Wasallam, what is Islam? So that's where it derives from. So after the Prophet Wasallam answered this, this man, or they perceived to be a man, he said to the Prophet he said, Sadaqta. He said, you are correct. This is the truth. So, Umar anhu said that we were bewildered by this. How could someone come, who we don't even recognize, and then asks the Prophet ﷺ for a question, and then after the Prophet ﷺ gives the answer to that question, he says, Sadaqta, as in, you are telling the truth, he's, he's approving of his answer, of the Prophet ﷺ's answer, our teacher, our master. How could, how could someone even uh, dare say something like that? Because they were just amazed at this. So then the person has said, Na akhbirni iman. So tell me, what is iman? Tell me, or what is Iman? He's asking the Prophet The Prophet said, Iman or, or belief is belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and His angels and His books and His prophets, His messengers, uh, الأخري, the last day. And to believe that good and, and bad, fate, is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the Prophet also now defined for us, because the hadith are for, really, I mean, the benefit is for the ummah of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He defined for us what is iman. So now we know what faith is. So we, would be, we should be satisfied. This man responds to the Prophet Sallallahu He says, Sadaqta. Again, Sadaqta. You're saying the truth. So again, the Sahaba are like, how is it that this person is asking the Prophet for an answer? This is the teacher who teaches us everything. And he's saying, yes, you're telling the truth. He's approving of the answer for the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So then the Prophet saw, then, then the man asked the Prophet another question. And this is sort of the crux of what I want to get to. Then he asked the Prophet, Mal Ihsan, what is ihsan? What is ihsan? Right? إحسان comes from, for those of you that have studied Arabic, it's verb form for, right? Ahsana, youhsinu Ihsan, to be excellent, to excel in something. Uh, so what is ihsan? So the Prophet says. To worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala As if you see Allah As if you see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala And if you aren't able to reach that state Where in your worship you are, It feels as if Allah subhan- you're seeing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Then at least the state in which while you are worshipping You know that Allah ta'ala is watching you You can perceive that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is watching you That is what ihsan is that is what excellence in this deen is That's the definition of excellence That when a person is able to worship Allah in such a state That it's as if they're seeing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala That when they throw their hands up and prepare for salah And they tie their hands They're on a completely different level as salat miraj al mumin The salah is like the ascension of a believer That when they're praying It's as if they literally feel As if they're standing right before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Right before Allah ta'ala When a person is able to achieve that state that's when they've reached excellence in this deen When a person recites the Qur'an And they're reciting the Qur'an They feel as if Allah Ta'ala is constantly watching them Or even better yet That they're watching Allah Ta'ala when they're reciting the Qur'an That's what excellence in this deen is So the Sahaba were bewildered A few more questions were asked by this man And ultimately the man had left And the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam asked uh, the Sahaba who, who is this person? Do you know who it was? So they said Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and His Messenger know best. What, what do we know? So the Prophet said, This was your, said this was Jibreel, the angel Jibreel alayhi dinakum. That he had come to teach you your faith. Jibreel alayhi had come to teach us what Islam really is. What Iman really is. And for the purposes of this gathering, what is the reality behind Ihsan? What is it to be excellent in deen? So ihsan is a state that a person achieves over a tremendous amount of work on their part and the work of their teachers. Ihsan isn't something that a person can just develop overnight. You might make the intention when you begin to pray your salah that I, I can see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now that I'm praying. But that feeling or that perception might last just a few moments but it'll just disappear. But ultimately through a person's spiritual rectification over time with the remembrance of Allah and through the points that we'll cover, a person reaches such a state that one, their entire life is a form of ibadah for them. And through this ibadah, they're constantly envisioning Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They, as if Allah ta'ala is always with them. Right, like when when a person becomes the friend of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, they feel they feel that Allah Taala is always there, and Allah Taala mentions this in the Quran. He's so close to the believers, right? He's so close to the believer. He's closer than the vessel of the neck or the lower part of the skull. That's how close Allah Taala is to the believer. Now we've heard this verse. We've read this verse in the Quran, we've maybe understood the translation, heard a tafsir, but how many of us have experienced that level of proximity, that degree of proximity to Allah Ta'ala, that He's closer to us than the vessels of our neck? In the vessels of our neck, that's how close to Allah Ta'ala is. So that's the reality behind Ihsan. It should be a goal of every single one of us that we reach this state, or that we begin to experience this state. It shouldn't be sufficient for us that we. Worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, For the sake of worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala That we follow the sunnah of the Prophet For the purpose of following the sunnah Or even for the purpose of you know, InshaAllah entering Jannah it, It's totally permissible And there's nothing wrong with that But Allah ta'ala has given us the opportunity To experience this deen in a way that, uh, that, that, that Is beyond our imagination And we should seek to be excellent in that Why not? Why shouldn't we be excellent in deen? Why shouldn't we be an excellent in deen? If Allah has given us the ability to be excellent in our school, be excellent in our jobs, be excellent in, uh, in our clothing, in our cars, in our homes, then we absolutely should be excellent in our deen as well. There's no excuse for you and I to be excellent in our deen. We should reach the pinnacle of this faith. And that is to worship Allah as if we are seeing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is to worship Allah ta'ala as if we are seeing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So now the question then arises in the minds of you know, many of us, How do we begin to attain this state, or begin to achieve this state? How is it that we can bring Ihsan into our life? How is it that we can experience the state of Ihsan? A fundamental principle, in order for us to understand how we can get to this state, it lies in understanding the difference, or how Allah Ta'ala made the human being. So Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala made us as human beings, and He made us of two parts. He made us of two parts. He made us of one, a, phys- a body, a physical body. And the physical body you and I, we see. You see me talking here, I see you. This is the physical body, right? The physical body, our hands, our limbs, etc. And Allah Ta'ala created us of a soul as well. A soul. Now that soul predates the body and it will postdate the body as well. The body is just here for 40, 50, 60 years. It's just a vehicle, a mode of transportation so that the soul can be, can be seated, so that it can take hold and take place. But the soul was present well before, right? There was a day before that none of us remember, but it comes in the Quran. Yomu alas when we had all stood before Allah Taala, and Allah Taala asked all of us, "Alas, to be Rabbikum? Am I not your Lord?" Right? Alu bala, we all said, "Of course, of course, you are our Lord, Ya Allah. Of course, you are our Lord." Right? This was the soul that was there. There was no physical body at that time. Eventually, Allah Ta'ala created a body for us, right? Through the wombs of our mother. And it took time, right? خَلَقَ الْإِنسَانَ مِن نُطْفَةِ Or, ثُمَّ خَلَقَ الْنُطْفَةَ And it's detailed such beautifully, right? If you study embryology, only now we're beginning to understand, you know, how, uh, how uh, impressive that whole process is. Right? The Quran had, had said this many years ago So the body over time it grows But that's the, soul, that's the seed for where the soul lies And then eventually the body will disintegrate, disintegrate And it will dis- disappear There will come a time when we will pass away Our bodies will be pa- placed in our grave And that will be the end of the body Right, the the soul return for a brief period of time, but the the, gra- the life in the grave and the life on the, the day of judgment. Barzakh. I mean, all this time, the life in Jannah and Jahannam. There's no phys- there's no physical body, right? The flesh and the the that I have, the, the facial hair. The, I mean, the clothes that I would. Use, this is just part of the body. The soul is what's of the most importance. So, that that's something that we have to. That's the premise that we have to understand that Allah Taala created us from a body and He created us from a soul. Now, the body is fed by things of this world, right? Just like the body was created from this world, things of this world feed the body as well. So, things that feed the body, for instance, are water. Water comes from the ground, right? It's part of this earth. That's what nourishes the body. That's what sustains the body. The body is sustained by food and crops from this earth. We eat, you know, corn, we eat fruits and vegetables, and all these things. These are these rice, these come from the earth. This is how the body is nourished. The body is nourished by the air that we breathe, for instance. This is how the body is nourished. So everything comes back to the uh, the earth. For instance, the body is protected by shelter, right? We need shelter to live. So what is the shelter of today? It's these buildings, the, the, the walls and the brick and all of these things. This is shelter. Our homes are made of what? Wood. Uh, they're made of mud, limestone, you know, these sorts of things. Cement, concrete. These are all things from the earth. So shelter, food, these sorts of things that protect and nourish and sustain the body. They come from things of this world The soul is only nourished by things that are above the heavens right? This is from the amr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala This isn't from creation This is from above the heavens From Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala directly So the things that nourish the soul Are not the things of the body So a piece of chocolate will never nourish the soul No matter how tasty it is Ice cream will never nourish the soul, no matter how, how, uh, which flavor you're trying. It could be the 33rd flavor. How many flavors are we on? 31? 32nd flavor. It could be the 32nd flavor. It'll never nourish the soul. The soul will never be nourished by these things. The soul will never be, never, never be nourished by a, a movie, for instance. It'll never be nourished by television. It won't be nourished by this. This, isn't from this. That's from this world. But what's above the heavens is what nourishes the soul. So good deeds nourish the soul. The recitation of the Quran nourishes the soul The uh, remembrance, the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala nourishes the soul the, uh, the salawat upon our beloved Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam. That's what provides light for our soul That's what keeps our soul alive And a, a, a person that recognizes this and spends time feeding their soul Their soul becomes elevated They become people of happiness, people of contentment Nothing shakes them, nothing moves them. they're so content in this world Because their soul is what they elevated now, there are people who will spend their time nourishing their body, completely focusing on their body, what their body looks like, you know, how, how attractive they might be to other people, what their clothes are like, What if their shoes match their, you know, their hat, and if their jacket matches their socks and all these. They're so caught up in these things, thinking that this is what brings happiness into, the, in, into their life. They think that, the, that by, by focusing on the body that they'll be able to uh, achieve some, something, but in reality, it's the soul that needs to be elevated, and when the soul is elevated, and that soul can reach this place of ihsan or this maqam, the state of ihsan. So our goal should be to focus, to, 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 focus on our, to focus more on our soul than on our body That our body has needs And the Prophet ﷺ recognized these needs And Allah Ta'ala expects us to protect the body Meaning we can't walk around without clothes We can't walk around without eating We can't fast for days on end right? the sahaba had, or the sahaba had, Some sahaba had come to the Prophet ﷺ And they wanted to neglect the needs of their body altogether They came to the Prophet ﷺ and said We want to fast and not break our fast We want to keep fasting We don't even want to break our fast we have wives, but we don't want to uh, have a, an intimate relationship with our, with our, with our spouse at night. We don't, we don't want to refrain from all of these things because these things just feed the body, feed the body. But there's, of course, a balance. And the Prophet said, no, I fast and then I break my fast. You know, the Prophet is such a balance, right? So he's reminding us that the body has needs and you have to fulfill the needs of the body. We need a place to live. We can't just, you know, hang out in the caves or hang out in, you know, on the streets and just think that this is, this is what this world is about and it's just passing we have to fulfill the needs of the body But we don't have to go beyond that And engross ourselves in the desires of the body On the flip side We should focus on our soul Fulfill the needs of the body But then work on the soul and elevate the soul And the effect of elevating the soul Through the things that inshallah will mention Is that one, number one A person will become very close to Allah Very close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala That they won't need any other friends Right, The entire world can turn their back against them but they are so close with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they know that this is my Allah. He's the one that created me. He's the one that's, that's allowing me to, to walk and talk. He's the one that's even given me life altogether. He's the one that I'm going to return to. And He's the one that I'm going to stand before on the Day of Judgment. Why do I need any other friends in this world? But why do I even need that? They have, they're so focused on Allah, that Allah It's important to have these things I don't mean to suggest that we don't have friends and things But what I'm saying is that when a person has Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Then, then everything else has become secondary So by elevating the soul, a, per, a person becomes very close to Allah Another effect of elevating the soul Is that a person becomes very happy right? True happiness is achieved from elevating and feeding the soul Not from feeding the body, from feeding the soul in this day and age, we've done whatever we can to feed the body in order to make ourselves feel happy. Right? So we'll go, if we, for instance, don't feel happy, we'll go purchase like, a new mattress set right? or something, a new bedroom set. We'll get a new pair of clothes, for instance, thinking that these things that are from this world are going to make us happy. A particular, we'll go try, try out a gourmet meal, a seven-course meal at a, at a restaurant, thinking that if I have this meal, then I'll now be happy forever. I'll be happy. But in reality is that happiness is just temporary and a person comes back a few days later and, and they're in the same state that they're in, if, if not a little bit worse. And the reason is because they, they didn't understand this concept. They thought, that by, they thought that by feeding the body they would become happy, but happiness is a characteristic of the soul, not of the body. So when they fed the soul through the remembrance of Allah, through the things that I had mentioned, then they become very happy. It's almost an effect of someone that feeds the soul. So it's very important for us to understand and recognize this concept Because this is what will grant us success in this life And of course grant us success in the hereafter So with that said So now we understand that We understand that there is this concept and idea of excellence in this deen And we know what the Prophet ﷺ taught us about what excellence was in this deen And now we've even understood this backdrop of what steps What initial step or what understanding we have to have So that we can even make uh, a few steps toward becoming people of you know, Ihsan right? Allah Ta'ala says Wallahu يُحِبُّ الْمُحْسِنِينَ Allah Ta'ala loves the Muhsineen Those people that have taken on the state of Ihsan Allah Ta'ala loves them He has, he has such a, an affinity with that person right? And everyone, all of us are able to get to that state Don't think that the deen isn't, isn't, it, it is beyond what I'm able to bring into my life We can all be excellent in it We can be excellent in the deen Just like we can be excellent in anything else so just a few things that I'd like to highlight A few steps Or you could say um, Practical steps that a person can take, inshallah To begin to see these changes within their life Inshallah, we'll, we'll mention a few of these, inshallah and then, and then we'll wrap up So just three advices you know, For myself first and foremost And for all of us uh, Of ways that we can, we can begin to experience the state Bring the state of ihsan uh, into our life The first thing The first step a person has to take If they make this decision That now The deen is their own deen Not the deen of their parents Or their friends The deen is their own deen And they want to be Submit to Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala And become very close to Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala The first step that they have to take Is that they have to leave sin They have to leave sin Sin is something that holds a person back From Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala It's very important that we leave sin Because you can think of it You know If you can think of like a ship, for instance, trying to get from one island to another island. Right? Before it leaves that island, or before it, leaves, before it leaves that port, the anchor has to be lifted off the ship. Right? Because otherwise it's not going to make much progress. It might inch very slowly toward that destination, but it, it'll take forever for it to get there, if it'll ever get there. Right? So the anchor has to be lifted off. Our teachers say that sin A person when they're engaged in sin It's as if that anchor is still on, uh, is still on them It's weighing them down Pressing them down And they're, they're having difficulty Making progress toward Allah They aren't able to move closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So our goal The, the first step uh, is, is to leave sin and it's very easy for us to repent from sin. Leaving sin is a little bit difficult, but there's steps that a person can take. But once a person decides that they're going to leave sin, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is so merciful, He's so merciful, He's happy to forgive you of, of your prior life of sin. He's happy to forgive all of that. Right? The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said كُلُّ بَنِي آدَمَ خَطَّاءٌ That every son of Adam is a khatta. They are a sinner Not just any sinner They're a profuse You know, they perpetuate the sin They're, this is, they're so engaged in sin The Prophet is saying this But the best of those that sin Meaning all of us Because we're all the children of Adam With the exception of the Prophets who don't sin We're all the children of Adam The best of those who sin Are those that repent to Allah Right, regularly The people who regularly repent to Allah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves it when the believer turns back to him. It just takes a moment, right? The Prophet said, أَتَّائِبُ That a person that repents from sin, it's as if they never committed the sin altogether. Meaning, it, there's no record of it. It's not like it's on the Day of Judgment, it's going to show up and say, oh, you did this thing, but you know, we're going to overlook it today. It, there's no record, it's wiped away altogether. Right? And inshallah, the angels will even replace it with something that's good. So a person that repents from sin is as if they have no sin altogether. So when a person decides that they want to tread this path to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala The first step that they have to take is leave sin And, the, and, and perhaps more importantly Or equally as important Is to repent from their sin It just takes two minutes It doesn't take very long at all A person just prays two rak'ah Or they don't even have to pray two rak'ah But if they turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sincerely And ask that Allah ta'ala erase their history of sin 20, 30, 40 years of sin Allah ta'ala in a heartbeat will do it It doesn't take longer than that Just a heartbeat Allah ta'ala will do it In fact they say that it's easier for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala To forgive us of our entire lifetime worth of sin To forgive us for our entire lifetime worth of sin Than for us to commit those sins altogether. Because for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive us Does it require any effort on his part at all? None Nothing, Allah Ta'ala's rain doesn't increase or decrease Irrespective of what we do, it doesn't go up or down But for us to have to commit sins It requires a little bit of effort on our part, right? It takes some effort to sin Some physical effort to sin Some emotional effort to sin Some psychological or mental effort in order to sin For Allah, it doesn't take any effort at all So it's far easier for us to sin and sin and sin and sin Than for Allah Ta'ala to forgive us for a lifetime worth of sin It just takes a moment that's all we have to do, that we have to pray churaqah at night, you know, in the middle of the night. Or you could do it in the daytime if you don't have time at night. And say that, Ya Allah, I am a criminal. And I have spent my life sinning against you. Ya Allah, I seek from you your forgiveness and your mercy. Allah Ta'ala will do it. So the, that's the first thing that we have to do, is that we should repent from our, from our prior sins. Because once that weight is not lifted off, that, that anchor is not lifted, right? And, and, and that, that the pressure that's been holding us down is gone then the sky becomes a limit. Then you begin to make quick progression toward Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He can very quickly become your friend. The challenge in today's age is leaving sin. It's not in performing good. But we don't want to leave that life of sin. But if we decide that we're going to leave that life of sin, and and, I mean, out of all of us in this room, I can say pretty comfortably, very comfortably, that that, uh, I'm involved in more sins than any of you. And this has always been that way. But Allah ta'ala has made it so easy for us to leave sin. He just wants us to come back to Him. Sin is the challenge in today's age So a person should turn away from sin And repent to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala For their prior mistakes Allah ta'ala in a heart be will forgive them it's not, it's not difficult at all This one pitfall that people make This is the first This is number one of I have three points of, of, of ways that you can develop Your relationship with Allah And inshallah reach the state of Ihsan So the first thing is This whole idea of repentance Right? Doing tawbah Just the one pitfall that people often make Is what they do is They justify sin They defend sin that's the last thing that we should do. That's the last thing we should do. And I, I don't so I'm not saying this because, you know, there's differences of opinion on what is that and I'm not even getting into that. But in general, we should never justify a sin. We should take sin as sin. If it's something that Allah Ta'ala has said to be haram, then it's haram. If Allah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, or the Prophet said it's 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 impermissible, then it's impermissible. We should leave it at that. The reason I say that is because when you begin to make sin permissible, then you're doing an injustice to yourself and no one else. You are creating injustice for yourself. Look, Prophet said we are people who sin. Am I right? He said, We are people that regularly sin. Now, on the Day of Judgment, when we stand before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asks us about a particular sin that we perform, we have two options. We can either say to Allah, Ya Allah, we're sorry. I was a criminal. I shouldn't have done it. I tried. I tried. I knew I shouldn't have done it. Yet I I, I pleased it. I'm I'm so sorry. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can overlook that sin in a second and enter us into His gardens. Or we can be people who try to justify sin and say that, no, 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 you know what? It's actually this way. Living here, it's like this. And because of our circumstances and our situations, this is actually okay. And we justify things that the scholars are saying are not... But we ourselves say that this is justified And on the day of judgment when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asks us That what, what was it? Why were you engaged in that sin? And you say, what sin? I never thought that was sin to begin with We shut that door to Allah ta'ala's mercy And in this world as well If you make up in your mind That you say that, you know what, this sin is actually not that big of a deal It's not even a sin altogether You know what, in- inshallah it's not a big deal, just leave it alone Then you're shutting that door For your, for your forgiveness in the future Let's say that uh, th- there's, there's, there's a, the difference between two people who sin. There's one person who sins in this world. I'm, let's use an example. I don't know. Let's say, for instance, uh, you know, using heroin, for instance, right? Someone justifies heroin and says that heroin is something that's permissible, right? And there's another person uh, who, so there are two people who are engaged in the sin of, 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 of shooting themselves, for instance, heroin. There's one person who does it and they feel bad about doing it. And they know it's not permitted, yet they still continue to do it. There's another person who does it and justifies that they're doing it and saying, you know what? This is, this is totally within the fold of this deen. It's not a sin at all. That first person that's doing it is leaving that window of repentance open to Allah. There could come a time when they can say to Allah, Ya Allah, or, or even today they can say, Ya Allah, I'm sorry, I'm trying. With your help, maybe I'll leave this. They're leaving that door of forgiveness open. The second person is shutting that door altogether. They're, they're not even giving themselves the opportunity to ask Allah for help. The goal of, for us in this life should be to just submit to the will of Allah And accept that we are people who make mistakes If we do that Then we'll be successful on the day of judgment In the court of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala The person who wins is not the person that justifies The mistakes that they perform It's the one who pleads guilty It's the one who pleads guilty Because Allah loves it when the, when the servant pleads guilty And accepts their mistakes Accepts their faults And says that sin is sin And they were just weak and not able to overcome it Allah ta'ala loves the attitude of that servant And he's happy to place that servant in Jannah Whereas on the flip side A, a, a believer or a sinner Comes to Allah And tries to defend it right? you, with, the, with the best lawyers on the planet or, Which is in their own mind They're enough Trying to justify the sin they're performing Then Allah Ta'ala has no need right? No need for that He, 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 never, he never wanted to Seek my forgiveness to begin with We might as well plead guilty right? We might as well plead guilty So that's the first thing Is that we should repent from our prior sin And inshallah Allah will forgive us And that will lift the anchor. The second step in a person Developing a relationship with Allah And inshallah reaching the state of ihsan Is that they establish uh, Or they establish a routine In which they are feeding their soul So the first thing is to leave sin and, And to repent from sin The second is now to feed the soul itself to feed the soul itself Now for those of us that really desire proximity to Allah To become really close to Allah Then there's a few things that we have to do that will feed the soul And we should do this every single day There's a few components that if we don't do it then our soul won't be nourished And eventually it'll starve And it'll starve to death and wither away and that'll be the end of that But we have to sustain our soul in some way And the way we do so is through an established routine We are not people of randomness we are people who have a routine of, we know when we wake up in the morning what we have to do when, with regards to our dhikr, what we're, with regards to our Qur'an, with regards to our salawat. We know what we're going to do. We, have, we know what we have to do when we wake up. So there's a few things that are very essential. There's a few things that are very essential. And, and I'll mention it, and of course, I'm sure inshallah Tithi can mention it, but there's a few things that my teachers say that the soul needs in order to be able to, to nourish itself. The first thing is that we should, every single day, we should do istighfar. We should repent to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala And I had already mentioned tawbah before But we should on a daily basis do istighfar My teachers say 100 times in the morning You can write this down if you'd like 100 times in the morning we should do istighfar And 100 times in the evening we should do istighfar right? Because when a person is doing istighfar One is that if we go home now And we do tawbah to Allah ta'ala Allah ta'ala will wipe away our entire lifetime worth of sin There's no issue there But then we will, if we continue to make mistakes As the days go by then every single morning and every evening we should spend time auditing our life, right? Just like you would bring in an, an internal auditor to review uh, the, uh, you know, before you submit that proposal, for instance, right? Before you submit your finances Similarly, we should internally audit our own lives Hasibu qabla antu Before Allah Ta'ala audits uh, our life on the, in the Day of Judgment So every day we should sit in the morning and in the evening we should do istighfar. Something of that sort, but every day we should do istighfar. The second thing that's essential for the soul is salawat upon the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. It's absolutely necessary. Because one it helps one Allah ta'ala mentioned in the Quran, in Allah al-nabi. There's only one deed that's mentioned in the Quran, one form of worship you can say that we do, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself partakes in that. And not only does he do it, but the angels also do it. What else is there? He, Allah Ta'ala doesn't pray. Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala doesn't fast. Allah Ta'ala doesn't recite Quran. He doesn't have to do any of these things. But the one deed that Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala says, I myself take part of this as well, is sending salawat upon the Prophet It's absolutely necessary. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, man صلى One who sends salat upon me one time, sallallahu alayhi عليه Allah loves this, that Allah Ta'ala sends salat upon that person ten times for each one time you say sallallahu alaihi wasallam allahumma salli ala muhammad allahumma salli ala sayyidina muhammad so this is an essential feature of feeding the soul so my teacher said that if you should recite salawat on the prophet sallallahu 100 times in the morning and 100 times in the evening minimum 100 times in the morning 100 times in the evening the third component essential to the to the soul right that feeds the soul that can protect it from dying is uh, recitation of the quran Every day we should recite the Qur'an There should not be a day that goes by where we don't recite the Qur'an If the Qur'an isn't there nourishing our soul Right? Just like we wouldn't miss a few days of eating We eat three times a day, right? If we were to miss food for three or four days Our physical bodies would just deteriorate, wither away And then that'll, it'll just that'll die The soul needs the, the, the feed of the Qur'an as well If we go a few days without reciting the Qur'an Then that soul will just shrivel up The Qur'an is food for the soul so every day we should spend at least 15 or 20 minutes reciting the Qur'an Now if, you know, Muftar Abani had mentioned He says that if you if you don't have a habit of reciting the Qur'an Make it a goal in your life that every day you spend 3 minutes reciting the Qur'an 3 minutes reciting <laughs> the Qur'an Even if you don't understand it The reward isn't just in understanding the Qur'an The reward is also in reciting the, word, the letters of the Qur'an There's a particular reward associated with it A particular barakah associated with it Your life will change if you go every day reciting the Qur'an So he said 3 minutes of Qur'an for those of you that already have kind of a habit Then at least 15 to 20 minutes you should recite the Qur'an every single day There shouldn't be a day that goes by There should ne- never be a night that we go to sleep When we haven't recited the Qur'an It just shouldn't happen Again, this is for people that are seeking excellence If you're seeking something else, then this doesn't apply If you're seeking excellence in deen Then this absolutely applies So recitation of the Qur'an We have the ability to read the Qur'an 15 to 20 minutes a day If you were to calculate how much time in the day we just we read Right? Calculate all the websites And the Facebook pages And, and the tweets And our text messages And uh, you know the books from school If we were to tabulate How much time we were set, we read all of those things It would be hours and hours and hours For some of us It might be 12 hours in a day All all I'm saying here Is just 15 or 20 minutes Where you read the word of Allah And the word of Allah Is very powerful The Prophet ﷺ said He, says, um, uh, he said That the fadl of the uh, word of Allah Meaning the superiority of the word of Allah Over all other types of speech Or word, text, right? Writing, text, tweets, Facebook All these things The superiority of the book of Allah Over all other types of speech Is like كَفَضْلِ ala khalqi Is It's like the fadl The superiority of Allah Over all of creation Tell me what similarity is there Between Allah Ta'ala and us Nothing Allah Ta'ala is the creator, we are created Allah Ta'ala is the sustainer, we are sustained Allah Ta'ala nourishes, we need nourishment Allah Ta'ala doesn't die he, And Allah Ta'ala is permanent And yet we are going to pass away So there's no similarity between Allah Ta'ala and us So similarly, the Prophet, Allah Ta'ala, the Prophet is saying That the, the book of Allah is so far ahead of the game There's no comparison between all types of speech Put it all together It doesn't come anywhere near the, the fadl of, of the word of Allah so we should look. I mean, how much time are we spending reciting the Quran versus how much time are we spending reciting the kalam of people, the, the speech of people? So that's the third. The fourth that our teachers mention is that a person should have wuquf, meaning that a person should be constantly thinking that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is watching over their heart. They should always be thinking that Allah Ta'ala is watching over them. This is evidence in the Quran. Allah Ta'ala says, in the la li that the signs for the Ulul Albaab, those you can say Ulul Albab translates roughly as the, the, the all stars of this deen, the people that have that you know are excelling right in this deen, that are at the pinnacle of this deen. Those people Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says about them, one quality about them is Aladina Allaha Qiyama wa Those are people that remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala while they are standing, waqurudan while they are sitting, wa junubihim while they are on their sides. While they're on their side So they're constantly remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Day and night Whether they're eating Whether they're uh, uh, Whether they're interacting with people Whether they're at work Whether they're at school Whether they're in lecture They're always imagining That Allah ta'ala is with them And Allah ta'ala is watching them That's the state where a heart stops It's called وقوف Al-qalbi is what our teachers say It's when the heart stops upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Right? So the, a good way to, to understand this for, for those of us that You know Clarification If you have a big exam coming up Let's say you have an, you have the MCAT I'm sure like Every single one of you taking the MCAT, like 95% of us. I think when I started uh, here, the first day of orientation or something, they told me that, I think they said two-thirds, or like 70% of all students come to U of M uh, pre-med. And then I think like 19 or 20% end up doing medical school. That number drops really quickly. So let's say you have an MCAT exam coming LSAT coming up, for instance, right? When that, ex- when that exam is coming nearer and nearer, that exam is completely on your mind, right? It's, it's ingrained in your heart. You can't get it off. So you'll be eating, you'll be talking with people, you'll be eating your food, but in your mind you're thinking, I got this exam, I got this exam, I got this exam, it's coming up, I won't be able to, uh, it's coming up in a week, it's always there. You're talking with someone, someone, hey, how's it going, and you interact with them, right, you're saying, hey, everything's going well, now you're talking with them, but in your heart you're thinking about that exam, right, you are driving, right, you're driving, you're looking at the road, but in your heart you're so caught up in that exam, that everything is about that exam, right, that's the only thing you can think about. So that is what wuquf is. When your heart is... So that's wuquf for the dunya. Wuquf for the deen is when your heart is on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and your heart is constantly connected to Allah. I'll give you another example. If any of you had a, a loved one pass away, like a very close loved one, right? For the weeks or two weeks, three weeks after that person passes away, they're always on your mind. They've been imprinted in your heart. You can't, you can't get it out. So people will be talking to you. They'll be offering condolences. They'll come visit your home. But, you know, and, and maybe they'll even crack a few jokes. or they'll bring you food. But the entire time for that week or those two weeks, that person's always in your heart. You can't get them out. You can't get them out. That's wuquf. That's wuquf. So wuquf is that we should imagine Allah Ta'ala always watching over us. We should have wuquf Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The fifth that our teachers mentioned is that a person should spend the, the day doing waqaba, watching over their hearts. Right? The, the raqaba, yuraqibu, which is a which is verb um, form uh, three, right, it takes on this meaning of making an attempt to do something. Raqaba Yuraqibu means to attempt to watch over the heart. So the heart is this uh, is 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 present. It's some it's a part of the soul. And the heart is is uh, is where, where everything sort of lies. So when a person really closes their eyes and, and reflects on their own state and looks at their heart, then everything begins to come out. The reality of themselves begins to come out. You know they'll begin to see things if like you know when they look when they close their eyes and they're focusing on their heart and all they're able to picture is you know the most the the most recent movie that they saw or the only thing that they're able to see is you know that sister that they that they that they're so engrossed in or the only thing that they're able to see in their heart is uh, another particular sin for instance or even like uh, you know uh, the auto show for instance right it's just that present on their heart so. It's a, very, uh, it's a very special form of, of muraqaba When a person, what they do is they sit down Close their eyes, reflect upon their heart And they, they see what's there They eliminate all their thoughts And then they imagine the nur of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala de- Descending upon their heart And their heart in gratitude for that nur Is saying Allah, Allah, Allah That's what muraqaba is So a person should try to spend you know, A few minutes every day just reflecting upon their state You could do muraqaba of the grave Where you imagine that you're in your grave Imagine spending five or ten minutes every day where you close your eyes and you envision that you are lying in your grave. Imagine what kind of an impact that would have on your deen. Right? You'd become so close to, uh, 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 to the hereafter. You'd be thinking about the hereafter constantly. A person who does munakabah for instance of the Day of Judgment. Thinking for five or ten minutes there's gonna come a day when it's going to be a very difficult day, you know, where I won't be able to recognize wa ummihi wa abi where a person won't recognize their brother, their father, their mother. Nobody will recognize anyone. That even the prophets will be worried about their fate on that day. People will come to the prophets and they'll ask them to start the day of judgment, and the prophets will say, Nefsi, Nefsi. These are the prophets who never who never committed sin and they're worried about themselves on that day. Imagine if a person spends five or ten minutes doing muraqabah of the day of judgment. Right? Imagine what their, how strong their iman would become So uh, th- th- you can do muraqaba in anything You can do muraqaba of the Quran So muraqaba of the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Is a very powerful form of dhikr When a person imagines their heart calling on the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala And the, sort of the sixth and final essential component of this routine Is that a person follows the sunnah of the Prophet So this is all, these things are all food for the soul Number one is that a person does istighfar every day Second is that a person does salawat, sins salat And the Prophet every single day The third is that a person reads Quran every single day Again, these are the amounts that I've given you 100 in the morning, 100 in the evening Of istighfar and salawat 15 to 20 minutes of Quran every single day 15 to 20 minutes of gunaqab every single day Waquf al-qalb, where your heart is imagining Allah Ta'ala watching it throughout the day This is a set routine, a regimen You can think about this as your homework This is something that you have to do Now of course there's other paths And I'm sure they we will we'll be happy to Tell you about the other ways as well But this is what I learned from my teachers And this, is, this allows a person to feed their soul And achieve excellence So uh, that's the second point The first was that a person should do tawbah from their sin Leave sin and do tawbah from their sin The second is that a person should establish A routine of dhikr every day That routine I just highlighted The six main points Every day you should have this routine Because if, you, if, you're, if you're random with your deen You won't make progress If you're random with your deen You will not make progress if you have goals, you will make progress that My goal today is to recite 20 minutes of Quran My goal today is to do 15 minutes of Quran My goal today is to do 100 isagfar in the morning and 100 in the evening Then you, you will make progress And over time, it might take a month, two months It might take, you know, six months But you'll notice a change in your life from, from, point a, from time point A to time point B Or you can just relax and not take the deen seriously And not have a daily routine And then you'll be stagnant The, th- the third and final point the, the advice that I have for a person that desires proximity and nearness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala And the, that desires this, you know, eventually reaching the state of ihsan Is that they should seek out a loving teacher and mentor They should seek out a loving teacher and mentor And Sheikh Taseer will tell you this It's essentially impossible to make progress in this deen without the du'as of our teachers I mean, I wouldn't be here right now He wouldn't be here right now There's no question about it This deen is built upon our teachers And not just any teachers These are teachers who had teachers Who had teachers That goes back to the tabi'een Whose teachers were the sahaba Whose teachers were the prophets It's essential for the development of a person Spiritually to have a teacher A guide Someone that can help them along the path the Sahaba had the Prophet ﷺ. He was their teacher Everything they'd go to the Prophet ﷺ for the, Everything he did They would take it into their life Everything he said They would record it and implement it That was their teacher That was their guide That was the one that allowed them to achieve These high states in deen These very high states in deen It was the Prophet ﷺ being their teacher Who was the teacher of the tabi'een? The tabi'een meaning the generation that came after the Sahaba Their teacher was the Sahaba Ali ibn Abi Talib رضي, there was, that was, He was their teacher right? Anas ibn Malik تعالى, That was their teacher They took these people as their teachers, as their guides And they made a lot of progress in this deen So it's essential that everyone have a teacher A guide, someone that they go to That they report their homework back to this is how many dhikr they're doing This is how much Quran they're reciting These are the evils within them That when they, for instance, sign up for an event for the MSA The only thing they can think of is How many people are, are, are going to see my name You know, when I sign up for this thing You know, when they are uh, when, they, when there's an opportunity to, to cook a meal Or sign up for an iftar, for instance right? You guys have campus iftars right? I want to see how many people How much praise I can get right? these, are, these are diseases of the heart That we don't recognize these And it requires someone else who can recognize them, identify them, and that can work on them, that can remove these evils from our hearts. So it requires a teacher to make progress in this deen. It requires a teacher to remove ill qualities like anger and, and, and um, ostentation and pride and kibr and and and, and 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 greed and stinginess. These are all evils of the heart, and it requires someone's assistance in order to make progress with this. Now the Sahaba had the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. we apply this principle to everything, to everything in our life. Right, when I started residency, I started, I'm I'm, I'm doing my residency in neurology right now. Within the first few days of starting residency, the first thing that they'll do is they'll assign me to a mentor. Why are they assigning me to a mentor? They're assigning me to a mentor because they want me to have the company of someone who's excelled in this field. They know that if I spend time with this person, he or she, I spend time benefiting from them, learning from them, seeing the way they, they go about their day, seeing how much time they spend in, you know, for instance, clinic versus research versus, you know, academics versus teaching, then I'll be able to take in these qualities of success as well, right? This is, this is an essential principle. A basketball team has a coach. No bas- there's not a single basketball team in the country, the NBA, you know, NCAA, there's not a single team that doesn't have a coach. They know that they require someone who's been there, done that, knows the intricacies of the sport that can teach this person how to excel in this, right? Who's the, the LeBron James, whoever, I don't think he's the best player, but let's say, um, I don't know, who, who's, who's up there? Whoever, I take anyone. Uh, Grant Hill, man, old school. <laughs> he like retired. But Grant Hill or whoever, Kobe Bryant. These are the best uh, players uh, you know, in the country. They all have coaches. They all have coaches. Because it's an essential component for a person to... We apply this principle to the deen and no one questions it. No one questions it. But when it comes to the... uh, Sorry, we apply this to the dunya and no one questions it. But when it comes to the deen, all of a sudden we say that the deen can be learned from books. It can't be learned from books. If it could be learned from books, then why would Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala send the Prophet Sallallahu to the Sahaba? If if it could be learned through books, what's the point of the Messenger? It is learned through people, through spending time in the company of the of the righteous, spending time, you know, learning from their traits, seeking knowledge from them, and having them oversee your life. That's how a person makes progress in Deen. So, how does a person? What does a person look for? And then I promise I'll wrap it up inshallah. What does a person look for when they are when they are seeking a teacher or someone that can help guide them along the path? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala The first quality is That person should remind you Of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala That person When you look at them When you interact with them When you get an email from them When you talk to them on the phone When you just When your gaze falls upon them They should remind you Of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Enough said I don't even need to go beyond that The second Is that they should be Strict adherent They should have A, a strict adherence To the sunnah Of the Prophet Sallallahu Right? They should have a strict adherence to the Sunnah of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. The mechanism to get to Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala is through the Sunnah of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Allah Ta'ala says in the Quran so clearly, That if you desire the love of Allah to enter into your heart, or if you desire the love of Allah to enter into your life, which would then mean the state of ihsan and these things, then follow the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, footstep by footstep. So if there's a teacher or someone that you come across that you see doesn't have qualities of the Prophet or they're neglecting or downplaying the sunnah of the Prophet Wasallam, then run away from them. They run away from them. Go in the other direction. Because they're going to misguide you. It has to be people that are strict adherents of the sunnah of the Prophet Wasallam. We've seen this in our teachers. Right? They're so firm on the sunnah, and they're not doing it just because it's random or because they feel like it. Because they know this is the way to Allah. They don't leave a single sin of the Prophet the, the third and final point uh, Quality that you could look for in a teacher Is that uh, they should have a chain Or a tradition that links back to the Prophet Sallallahu Right it's just, This is, is going to bring you teachers That have these links that go back to the Prophet If someone is self-learned They learn from books and these things Then, then they haven't truly uh, Embodied the tradition of this deen so you should be someone that has a teachers, who teachers Who have teachers, who have teachers, who have teachers Whose teachers were the tabirin Whose teachers were the tabirin Whose teachers were the sahaba And ultimately that teacher was the Prophet <laughs> The first quality is that that person should remind you of Allah The second quality of a good teacher or, uh, That can guide you along the path Is that person who is a strict uh, adherent to the sunnah of the Prophet And the third is that that person should have a connection a, 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 a chain, a silsida A tradition that goes back to the Prophet So just to summarize then That ihsan is excellence in this deen all of us have the potential to achieve this state and we know what Ihsan is through the hadith of Jibreel الصلاة, when the Prophet told the angel Jibreel and told all of us through that conversation and with Allah The excellence in this deen of Ihsan is to worship Allah Ta'ala as if you see Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala and if you can't get that state then at least knowing that Allah Ta'ala is watching over you That's Ihsan, that's a state that isn't accomplished overnight it takes time and it takes effort And the steps that a person should take are three The first step is that a person should do a sincere tawbah to Allah And remove that burden of sin that they've carried right? And, and there's, no, there's no kidding ourselves We are people that make mistakes We have to remove those mistakes regularly uh, And do tawbah from those mistakes The second is to establish a daily routine A schedule a Set, set goals every day of what you're going to do Because consistency in This, in a routine, is what allows you to be regular and over time you make progress. A person that's consistent in, for instance, working out, a person that's consistent working out will see results. They don't see results overnight. Right? They start off you know, lifting 10 pounds, 20 pounds, they might get to 50, but over 6 months, you look at how they physically look and feel, and 6 months later, they look completely different because they were consistent in their routine, they weren't random, they didn't one day decide they're going to bench 50 pounds, the next day they're going to do 250, they're going to take 3 weeks off and come back and you know, run a few laps you know, upstairs, you're not going to make progress that way. So similarly, in the dean, if you want to make progress, it's slow and steady, Established a routine This routine that I mentioned to you Was six points Bring that into your life And inshallah you'll see progress And the third Is that you seek and find A loving teacher and mentor Someone that can help you Along this path to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala You will be able to work wonders With their du'as With their guidance With their assistance The deen will It'll, it'll just fall into your lap and you and you'll become very close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you'll become a, a, a close follower of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the tawfiq to follow the footsteps of the Prophet. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us all to experience the state of Ihsan and allow us to be regular in our worship of Him. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to uh, repent from our sins and may Allah Ta'ala forgive us of our prior life of sin. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the tawfiq to have a daily routine in our life Where we perform deeds in in in, uh, in service of Him and, and, and we serve humanity May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to find teachers and, and guides That can guide us along this path to Him and, and, and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to follow every sunnah uh, uh, And every footstep of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Wa akhira da'amana Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah.